Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. I want to focus on two things in my sermon with you today, and the first thing is the new year. Secondly, what did Simeon see? Tomorrow's the first day of January, the month of January. Gets its name from the Roman pagan. Janus had two faces. One on the front of his head looking forward, and the second face on the back of his head looking backward. They believed that he was the god of all new beginnings, and he oversaw doorways and gateways. Now, I don't know how that worked practically. <laughs> I wonder that, you know, when he gossiped about his friends, did they call him four-faced? <laughs> did he have to swivel his head back and forth to watch a tennis match? Probably not. Janus is a figure of man's creative imagination, but the month named for him is a good time for us to look back and forth. We need to look at what lies behind us for two reasons. To learn from our mistakes and to see the signs of God's hand at work in the world. But the other face reminds us that we cannot let ourselves get bogged down in the past. Things that you cannot change. Things you cannot undo and words that you cannot unsay. I enjoy studying history. So I'm always looking back in time, finding out what the past can teach us and building on those who have gone before. I believe that there is real value in studying the past in that way, knowing our story so that we can find a sense of our identity and connection. But in a spiritual sense, in our Christian lives, looking backward too much or in the wrong way can be a bad thing. The devil would love for us to dwell in the past all the time. He hates the future. The devil loves it when you find yourself sludging through the same regrets and mistakes and transgressions, reliving in your mind all those things you'd wish you'd done differently. The devil loves it when we do that because if I'm still losing sleep over my past sins, then I am not living today in the freedom and joyfulness which Christ has won for us upon the cross. If you think about it, this theme of looking forward and back, this theme of looking ahead is all over the Bible. For instance, when the sins of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah became so repugnant that God's patience had come to its end, he sent angels to bring out the one righteous man, Lot, and his family before the sulfur began to rain down against them. Now God gave Lot and his family one instruction as they left the city. He said, flee and do not look back, do not stop, and do not look back. But of course, if you know the story, as many of you do, Lot's wife did look back. Maybe she couldn't help herself. And with all of its flaws, the city was her home. It was all she knew. Part of her may have wanted to stay behind and not go forward into the relatively unknown trusting the angels. So contrary to God's instruction, Lot's wife did stop and turn back. She did look. She couldn't stop living, in that sense, in the past. 
But as you probably know, it didn't turn out well for her. Lot's wife was turned into a pillar of salt. And then again, after God had miraculously delivered the Israelite nation from bondage to Pharaoh and the land of Egypt, the people of God traversing across the wilderness did little else than complain. Sure, God had answered their prayer, and he had liberated them from their chains, but they didn't like the way that he had delivered them. God took care of their every need, but he did, they didn't like the way that he took care of them. So instead of the manna, which God sent miraculously each morning, they missed the vegetables and stews of slave drivers. God was taking them out of bondage, leading them to a land flowing with milk and honey, but they couldn't stop looking back. That's because the past is easy. We kind of know it, but it takes great faith to face the future. January and every day is a time to look ahead God has brought us out of our own kind of bondage, right? The bondage to sin and death. Jesus said that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. That's the bondage. And he has delivered us from that slavery by his own precious blood. So then why do we not move forward? Why do we keep looking back, reliving and repeating the very sinful habits and behaviors and thought patterns Jesus came to rescue us from? The Christian life is like a journey, right? The the children of Israel going across the wilderness to the promised land or Lot's family leaving the city of sin and destruction towards better things. And we are headed out of this valley of the shadow of death to a new and blessed country where the streets are gold and the word sorrow is not in the dictionary. We are on the move. And it's pretty hard to move forward if all you do is look back. But the past and the future don't have to be in conflict because our God is the Lord over past, present, and future. The Christmas child is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the author and finisher of our faith. So in the proper sense, Christians are happy to look at the past because it is the past that tells us of God's faithfulness as we see how he fulfilled his promises to help his people. It is those saving events of the past, things like the spirit over the waters, Noah safe in the ark, Israel crossing the Red Sea, Daniel alive and safe in the lion's den, and the men unscathed in the fiery furnace. In the past, we see the incarnation and birth of the Son of God, his baptism, fasting, and temptation, his agony and bloody sweat, his cross and passion, his death and burial, his glorious resurrection and ascension and the sending of the Holy Spirit. Those are past historical events, but they're not just past things. They have present consequences and future assurances for us. So as we look to the new year, know that because of Jesus Christ, the past cannot condemn us, the present cannot confound us, and the future should not frighten us. Now in our gospel reading for today, we go to Simeon. For him, this was a turning point, this moment depicted in Luke chapter 2. For him, it was a a new day, a new dawn, something changed, a new year maybe, so to speak. Simeon, an older man, had trusted God's promise to him, given in the past, 
that he would see salvation in his present to help him enter his eternal rest. God promised this saintly old man that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord Jesus Christ or the Lord's Christ. When the Spirit brought him into the temple that day in Jerusalem, he met the Holy Family and held in his arms the Holy Infant. And then he sang those words, which we repeat often in our communion liturgies. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light as a revelation to the nations, the Gentiles, and for glory to your people, Israel. What did Simeon see before he saw death? He saw the Christ. He saw Jesus. He saw, it says, actually, he saw salvation. Because salvation is not just an event. It is a person. It is a child who became a man, who became a sacrifice. And the benefit of that past sacrifice is now yours in the present. Because it's not just that you were saved. You are saved. Just as it's not just true that Jesus was raised from the dead, he is risen. He is alive. Yahweh is not just called, or is not called the great I was or the great I'm going to be, but the great I am. Where is God? He is here now. We are in his presence. We are in his eternal present, where there's no past regrets and no worries about the next day. Jesus told the Jews that Abraham saw his day and was glad and rejoiced. What did Abraham see? Did Abraham see Jesus in a cloudy vision? Perhaps, but we don't know that. What we do know is that Abraham saw Isaac, the son of promise, and it made him glad, so glad that he even named this child Isaac, which means laughter. God had promised to bless the world through uh, Abraham's offspring. Abraham was glad when Isaac was born, and he was glad then again when God provided the lamb as a substitute on Mount Moriah. Abraham saw, and it made him glad. Simeon saw, and he had peace, peace enough to die and move on. So it's about seeing, as, as well as hearing, and believing. Many Protestant Christians tend to be very suspicious of the eye and what we see, especially in worship, because they're so worried about falling into idolatry that many insist, it seems, as if the most barren worship spaces imaginable are the way to go. The more blank, the more spiritual, they seem to say. But this isn't godly at all. I don't need to see something in order to idolize it. But seeing with the eyes of faith and more is a blessing. Someone will say, well, didn't Jesus tell doubting Thomas, uh, you believe because you see, but blessed are those who believe who have not seen. But we, we shouldn't overinterpret that. What about seeing? God promised Simeon that he would not see death until he had seen the Christ. And Simeon did not just see with the eyes of faith. He saw with his very eyeballs of flesh. He saw God in the flesh by means of his flesh. That flesh, 
which was sacrificed on the cross. That flesh, which is the bread of life given for the life of the world and eaten in the Holy Supper. So yes, in John's gospel, Jesus did mildly chastise Thomas for doubting the word of the apostles. But in Luke's gospel, that same event when Jesus appeared to the disciples on Easter night, he told them, see my hands and feet, that it is I myself. He showed them his hands and feet, and then Jesus said, touch me and see. No chastisement. Isn't that what Thomas wanted, to touch and see Jesus? And Jesus specifically invites us to touch him and see him. Now today we are in the temple of God, the house of God, our, our church building. And what do you see? What do you see here? Well, you see a man, a deeply flawed man, but a man called by God to preach to you and speak to you the words of eternal life. You see this podium, this pulpit and lectern, whereupon rests the word of God incarnate in page. You see the image of Christ crucified, whom we preach. Look at his hands and feet. We see, as it says in that really marvelous Advent hymn by Charles Wesley, where he says, those dear tokens of his passion, right? Still his body, his dazzling body bears. Cause of endless exaltation of his ransom worshipers. With what rapture we gaze on those glorious scars. Now look, what else do you see? You see the flood, the Red Sea, the Jordan River, the washing of regeneration. You see and eat and drink the life-giving body and blood, the medicine of immortality, the antidote to death. Because Jesus Christ and his salvation is not just some kind of abstraction or idea. He is a man. Our salvation is a man. He is the man. Behold the man. Look and see that in 2024 and forever, you are in those life-giving scars. And on the day of the consummation of our salvation, when we will rise from the grave, we will say and sing those words of Job, I think, where it says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and on the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, with my eyes will behold, and not another. So with these thoughts in mind, we can move forward out of the regrets into the joy of the now and the unspeakable glory to come on the day of our resurrection and then without end. In Jesus' name, amen.